morning, folks. I'd like to welcome all of you to another episode of Coffee with Friends in 2023. I am here today um, with Rhoda Hostetler. This is going to be a very interesting conversation. Um, but first, I'd like to give a shout out to all our Patreon supporters for making this possible. Thank you. We appreciate you. And I'd also like to give a disclaimer. Coffee with Friends may discuss trauma of all sorts and to include all types of abuse. Viewers and listeners may find it unsettling and triggering. The guests on our live streams reflect a diverse set of values, morals, and ethics that may not reflect the values, morals, and ethics of the misfit Amish. If this live stream becomes unsettling for you or triggering, please stop watching and find a way to cope and become safe and start watching again when you are able to. Thank you. And with that being said, let's bring up Rhoda. Good morning. Hi. Rhoda. Good morning. It's so good to be with you. This is amazing. Yes. Um, I, I always enjoy my conversations with you, whether it's about advocacy or culture or just random fun stuff, talking neurodivergence, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Fun stuff. Good times. We always have great conversations. That's one of the things that's amazing. Yes. Yes. Um, I, it was soon after we left the Mennonites that um, I, I told Hope Ann, our, our mutual friend Hope Ann, that like, I, I'm struggling at home. Like, I'm just, it's hard for me to get stuff done. It's hard for me to think. And she said, well, of course it is. You were raised Mennonite. You were not raised to like, tackle this mountain of housework by yourself you need you need you need to call mary you need to have like mary's voice and like in your headphones while you're working and then you'll get stuff done and that was that was uh, some of the best advice ever what i'm sorry <laughs> yes yeah so I, I have gotten some work done that I would not have gotten done otherwise because you were like in my headphones talking to me about trauma and being LGBTQ um, in the Amish and like all of that. It was, wow. it was great. I, I had no idea. Well, good morning, <laughs> Billy. I'm so glad you could join us. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So for those who don't know, um, they may not know, like you were Mennonite, you mentioned. Yes. So I was raised very conservative Mennonite. Um, specifically, um, I spent the first 11 years of my life in the fellowship Mennonites in what was at the time quite possibly the most conservative fellowship church. So we were just, a, a, in some ways, we were a step away from Amish if you look at the external rules so we were allowed vehicles we were allowed electricity we were allowed some of that but like our vehicles had to be our sunday vehicles had to be black um our dresses had to have uh like these these little buttons the the cape dresses had to have these little snaps wait, wait, wait. you had buttons the rhoda i i gotta point this out you had buttons yeah. we had we had, you had strings. We had and so strings. if you sat down wrong, you felt it. <laughs> that's right. But I mean, I just don't know. That's that's like that just seems like it might have been a little too far. Yeah. Um, when far. I was eleven, we we went from Fellowship Mennonite to Beachy Mennonite. Um, 
we moved like 45 minutes to a different church. Um, and then when I was 15, that church had a, a church plant and our family was part of the church plant. So we moved again. Um, and when I was 17, I went, I, I needed help. I was dealing with nightmares. Um, of course we were not, we were not encouraged or really permitted to access professional counseling. So when my mom and I hit a wall and processing my nightmares, we reached out to a, a church lady for help. And I told her some of my story. Um, and it, that was the beginning of the process of me leaving the Mennonites for the first time. So I found um, a non-denominational church. It was actually um, made up of a lot of ex-Mennonites. And I think there was like an ex-Catholic family there. Um, and it was, it was a really close-knit, wonderful community. I have so many good memories of my time in that church. Um, that's where I met my husband, who was at the time attending a Mennonite church, just a much more liberal or progressive Mennonite church. And I, I thought you know, when I left the Mennonites the first time, I had said never again. Um, but when, when I've, I met him and married him and he was, he was Mennonite, Fine. So we we went to a more liberal Mennonite church, which I thought was going to be okay. And um, I ended up I, I view a lot of that experience. I have some good memories there too, but also some spiritual abuse stuff along the lines of you know be reconciled at all costs to yourself, including your sense of safety, um, and pressuring to say that I've I've shared everything that there is to share. Um, about my story when I really wasn't safe sharing everything. And I hadn't even, like, I had fragmented memories that had not yet right. become cohesive. And so, like, I, I couldn't, if you can't access the cohesive storyline, you can't share it, right? Right. Um, so there, there were some mixed, mixed experiences there. That was BMA Mennonite. Um, and then after we came back, we went to Cambodia for three and a half years, which was incredible. Um, it, the, the good stuff was so, so good. And the hard stuff was very, very hard. Um, it was an intense experience. Um, came back from Cambodia and we shifted churches soon after we were back to um, a CMC church. And um, then when everything happened with... Christian Aid Ministries and Jeriah Mast and um, like Peter Smith doing that um, article with or the series with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, I, I really felt like, OK, so I went overseas. I lived in a red light district. I did anti-trafficking. Um, I did all of that. And my own people have this massive, massive horde of secrets. And I began to speak out. Um, both in private conversations and in public ones. And that was the end of our time in the Mennonites. Um, it was a very hard transition out of the Mennonites. Um, I, I lost a lot of friends. I found out who, um, th there are some precious, precious friends I have who were my friends when I was, pursuing the type of reconciliation that is quiet at all costs. And they stayed my friends through my outspokenness and through my cynicism. And on the other side of my cynicism, they're still my friends. So we lost some friends, but we, we kept 
some really incredible people um, from the Mennonites as friends and made a bunch of friends outside of the Mennonites. So, um, yeah, that's That's an overview of my life. And that's that's where we are today, right? Like you're no longer part of the Mennonites. Now, I do have a question for those who may may be listening. They may not be familiar with you said your church, like when you were like 17, like your family was like part of a plant. Can you explain that? Yes. Um, so the church we were attending had like, I think 300 some people attending. That includes women and children, um, members, non-members. Um, on a given Sunday, you could have 200 people in attendance, 300 people who came through the doors on a fairly consistent basis or were missionaries of the church. Um, and they were they were discussing what to do with this influx of people and they had already added on to the church at one point and they simply decided okay so the church is too big what we're going to do is we're going to take 10 families 10 or 11 families and we're going to send them away um, and start a different church in a different location um, so that that process was um, right over the same time that I was becoming baptized and becoming a member so my first memories, my earliest memories of members meetings are actually around the topic of church planting and yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> 15 year old girl sitting there in this meeting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then I also want to point out your, your sharing of your trauma memories not being accessible to you. Um, trauma does affect memories for those who don't know and it is very common for many people not to be able to access a coherent story so when you're considering that somebody sharing their trauma with you first off like they feel safe to share their trauma with you second off if the the storyline is not coherent to you imagine living with that inside of your head just just imagine that for a second and then being told like that you're not what sharing everything that's that's what they came at you with Rhoda um so it it happened towards the end of um i think a counseling intensive or something where the the person really wanted to make sure that we had addressed everything and it's like so have we talked about everything related to your abuse and in my mind, like I, I had the abuse here, but I also remembered the death threats and I remembered um, the church cover up. So um, a preacher had known about a group of guys who would meet to brag about their victims. And he had, when he was told this, his response was, it's too bad. Someone should really help those girls. I can't, I'm looking at porn. And um, I, I had those three parts and it, it sounds stupid. Um, but really our brains fragment our memories in order to keep them from overwhelming us. Like I had not even pieced all of those together to say, okay, this is all related. This is an institution that is geared towards fostering this. Like this is not just, oh, my abuser abused me. And then he happened to threaten me. And then the preacher happened to cover it up. This is a whole thing. Um, My brain hadn't gotten that far yet. And Right. I, I wasn't, I, I was not, the death threats were not the most traumatic part of the experience for me. Um, the abuse was. So at, at that time, when it came to the death threats and processing them, I, my attitude was, 
it wasn't the worst thing that happened. I'm good. Like, we don't have to talk about it. Um, eventually, that changed, and I realized, like, it's showing up in my nightmares. It's it's impacting my relationships. I do have to talk about it. But, yeah. Yeah. So, regardless, like, another thing is, is that we may not respond to danger threats, like, appropriately What as to what, like, it may be appropriate for us because it keeps us alive, right? Right. But other people may not understand that. And I just want to say to you, if you don't understand it, you don't have to understand it. No. Regardless. Regardless. Like what you're describing here is is typical for many abuse survivors and especially when they have like religious abuse or, you know, spiritual abuse that transpired in their churches of origin, whatever church of origin that it might have been, the cover ups, the the inability to like provide any, you know, actual qualified trauma therapy for somebody that ex- that has experienced trauma and and the like to me, the the asking you if you've like done everything like that that to me just feels like a little bit like ignorant. Was this person a a licensed counselor? Yes, this person was a licensed mental health professional who was working in the Mennonites. Um, so there's that that thing of some level of education, but also I'm sure this person felt um, pressure from, I mean, the the whole Mennonite counseling thing exists in order to give Mennonites a place to process mental issues without challenging their their faith and without without it's it's a way of keeping the people in. Okay, I, but, feel, I feel like he might have felt like he had to, like his goal might not have been strictly my well-being. It might have also been her well-being, yes, but also let's make sure that I can tell, you know, the mission agency or whoever that this was successful. Okay, so here's a question. What type of training did this therapist have in trauma? I really, that's an excellent question. I don't think, I don't think he had extensive training. Um, This is, this is my career field. And I'm realizing that you can, you can be very educated in a number of mental health needs and yet be completely illiterate on trauma or autism or how ADHD influences family dynamics. Um, so to really specialize in one aspect, you have to be committed and um, go over and beyond your right bare minimum training requirements. Right. And and somebody can go get educated and become a mental health provider and not actually have adequate information to be actually tra- like skilled in helping clients navigate trauma and life yeah. after trauma. That yeah. that is absolutely true. And so, like, if you have a counselor like that, I would urge you to seek out a different counselor that is maybe more qualified to work with somebody that has experienced trauma. Because, yeah. Yeah. I I don't know if that would have been an option for us at the time, because this was related to um, us meeting the qualifications to be allowed to go over to Cambodia. 
So if we had just gotten a random counselor, like someone who wasn't Mennonite, and the person who wasn't Mennonite said, you know what, I think I think she's good to go, I think she's healthy. Um, you, yes. Wait, no, no, no. Were they a part of Beachy, the... Beachy were... or BMA? I think BMA. They were part of the BMA church? I believe so. Okay. Wow. Qualified people who stoop to the Mennonite church leaders controlling is abusive. They should be punished for that. We all <laughs> some I see where that comes from, but I also like I also feel like that might be a little too strong because I think this guy was doing the best he was able to do with the circumstances he found himself in and he probably did not understand the depth of the darkness in Mennonite culture and how the very leaders that he needed to answer to were contributing to it. So he probably thought he was legitimately doing the best. I have no personal issues with this guy. I, I do have issues with um, attempting to provide trauma counseling if that's not what your specialty is. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's a good point to say, hey, I've helped you as far as I can. I'm going to recommend you to someone who is more qualified. Um, this guy, he, he was very gentle and personable and warm in the counseling room. And it, mm -hmm. it motivated me to go, hey, you know, I think maybe someday I'd want to be a counselor. That said, I very strongly disagree with um, thinking that, and this is probably just a matter of ignorance, not understanding trauma, thinking that you are at the bottom of something when it's trauma related, because trauma, as trauma heals or as life <laughs> brings up more conversations, you find out more. And... I mean, healing is like, let's go, let's go backwards, let's go forwards, let's go backwards. So, yeah. It's like, um, let me let me put it like this. So, I, I mean, I was 19 when I was diagnosed with, with chronic PTSD. Okay. And I would say that life after trauma can really be learning to live with trauma. It's a journey. You take one step forward, two steps back. It's a journey. Yeah. And every day that I'm alive, I choose to be here. That's that's it. But regardless, let's get to, um, you wanted to talk a little bit about Amish versus Mennonites. Yes. Tell me and about that. I want to start out with an apology. Because, so, in the very conservative Mennonite setting I grew up in, I had a mother who was born Amish and um, then raised Mennonite. And she still retained the Pennsylvania Dutch language. She had Pennsylvania Dutch friends. So I grew up around aspects of still Amish-related culture. It's really ex-Amish culture, which is, I'm thinking, different from Amish culture. Um, and then I married a man who was also born Amish, raised Mennonite. And so I'd been around it enough to feel like I had an idea of it. So when I did this video on YouTube almost a year ago, um, highlighting the massive, the insularity, the massive gap that survivors in these insular communities have to cross in order to get help from law enforcement, I titled that Violence in the Amish and Mennonites. And um, reading your book last month, I realized, hold on, there's there were some parts of the book that were familiar and that I recognized, but there was quite a bit of Amish culture in the book that was new to me. And I realized 
these cultures are a lot more different than what I knew. Um, so at that point, I reached out to you. I was like, hey, Mary, please tell me, do you feel like I have spoken for the Amish before? And you were you were forthright with me. And um, as a result of that dialogue, I went into YouTube and I changed the title on that to Violence in the Mennonites instead of Violence in the Amish and Mennonites. Um, for those of you watching, we, part of our conversation, I asked her, like, should I take the entire video down? And her response was, no, there's good information in there. The title, the title needs to be changed. Um, so I, I am sorry for that. Um, I'm happy to learn more about the difference between Amish and Mennonite cultures. And um, please don't take this apology as, oh, she apologized so I can never say anything again. If you see me misstep again in the future, we are friends. By all means, reach out and say, hey, Rhoda, let's, let's talk about this. Let's 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 have a conversation. But also, yeah. let me let me also point out this. I'm accepting apologies in the form of changed actions. Think think about that. Yeah, <laughs> that's I I'm accepting those apologies. That's, I hear you. Like like to me, when you when you change the name, that's a big deal. That actually like reflects like Mennonites um, need to own their own culture, mm -hmm. but part of what has happened and I know you're aware of this because I've, I've really talked about this is like people take they take Mennonite stories and they brand them as Amish and it's on it it like it it does this whole thing like it simultaneously hurts both both Amish survivors and it hurts Mennonite survivors yes and why do I say that why do you think I say that well it it blurs the lines between the cultures and so we don't, we're not then able to give Amish survivors the help they need because we are not seeing their difficulties. And for Mennonite survivors, um, it's, a, it's an uphill climb, really, to find each other and um, to find each other's stories. Um, there's so much, there's a lot of um, credence given to Amish, the whole like Amish furniture, Amish baked goods, Amish, Amish everything that um, if Amish survivors were free to tell Amish stories and Mennonite survivors would tell Mennonite stories, it would be easier to find, for one, to find each other and also to, to hear the distinctions between cultures and how, how the cultures influence abuse. Right. And it would also mean that, for example, like when people like see plain people, they would maybe think like, maybe I should discover whether or not this person is Amish, Mennonite, or other conservative religious group. Right. right. Rather than seeing a plain person and automatically branding them as Amish. Oh, goodness. We got, we got asked that so many times when I was a kid. Like, are you Amish? And like, no, no. No. We drive vehicles. Like, like... And, and that's like, so for me, I want to add on that whole, like the reason why it's harmful. So part of it is when we have Mennonites, for example, I'm thinking of like a movie, right? If you have a Mennonite person selling, Go ahead their, and name story, names. Okay. selling their story yes. to a TV network and they call it an Amish sin. Yeah. First off. Number they're one, they're making so much money off the line. That 
that movie does not represent Amish culture. That movie is inaccurate. That movie speaks over Amish survivors and erases our existence and our needs. Yeah. That is harmful to us. Number two, if you as a Mennonite are a survivor and you're looking for Mennonite stories and Mennonite survivors and you're looking for support and you're or you're a, you're an advocate looking for ways to support um, uh, Mennonite survivors, you can't find information to support Mennonite survivors because they don't exist. Why do they not exist? Because you have mislabeled and appropriated Amish culture. Stop appropriating our goddamn culture it is not yours to own own your own culture yep and with that movie they were they were essentially making a lot of profit off of a lie in that sense it's not basically just like us is it rhoda nope nope it's not even there may be overlapping similarities but we are not the same. We do not have the same experiences. We can connect on bases that other people may not be able to connect on, but it doesn't mean that we are the same. And it doesn't mean that I get to speak for Rhodus Mennonite experience. I don't. Yeah. I don't have the, I am not in a position to speak for conservative Mennonites or Mennonites. I am not. But I am going to call them out for appropriating Amish culture because I am sick of it. I am sick of them profiting off of our our pain and our abuse and erasing our stories. Yeah, you needed to write that book, especially after that movie came out. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I haven't watched the movie. Like, I, I'm not interested in giving them my money. So. I, I feel that. Yeah, well, I'm telling you it's wrong. So anyways, so do you have specific cultural differences that you would like to highlight or or is that as far as you want to go in talking about like cultural differences? Um, I'm willing to, to highlight a few. So the sheer amount of labor depicted in your book that was placed on Amish women and Amish children is beyond work ethic type of labor and really gets into can we talk about slavery like where you're not fed appropriately and yet you are demanded to fulfill a certain amount of work um not paid appropriately not educated appropriately in exchange for your labor essentially treated we were property rhoda right i was property So, yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, the, other, the other difference, in your book, you describe your dad's response to you as a young girl who said, when I grew up, I want to marry a woman, and how your dad dealt with that. I don't know that Mennonite stories um, of coming out include... I don't know how many include that level of violence of a response to that. So I, but then Mennonites often tend to not come out if they're, if they identify. Right. Yeah. Right. So. so that's, 
well, why is it safe for Mennonites to come out? Look at like um, the the Rainbow Mennonite Church. And oh, I haven't heard about that. I'm gonna oh, write it down. There's a whole report. Google Google reports or something like Rainbow Mennonite Church, or even look at Pink Minnow. So has it historically been safe for them to come out? And I I can't answer that for Mennonites because. I wasn't Mennonite. Yeah. yeah. But the question I have. I think for Mennonites to come out, the cost would be um, social, familial, which of course is connected in Mennonite culture to money because you get your job by knowing somebody um, in the Mennonites. You know, you work for another, for a Mennonite business owner. Um, and so if you are, shunned or if they feel like they need to keep their kids away from you because you're gay um that yeah um I, I i think it's more of a social thing but what you describe in your book is your dad um committing a serious crime against you and then telling telling your mom that he fixed it so the price you paid just to blurt that when you are grown up, you want to marry a woman um, was astronomical beyond. It was, it was beyond simply a social shunning. Um, yeah. Going back to the Amish versus Mennonite. Someone says this, um, I've been Amish and Mennonite, both plus a non-denominational Mennonite and the Mennonite come, from the Amish. No, actually, let me let me correct you, um, Samuel Regina Yoder. Um, so the Mennonites actually came first and the Amish split away from the Mennonites. You look up Menno Simmons and Jacob Ammon, those are the two leaders, but they you're right in that they have the same mindset and operate the same. They may have similar systems and similar mindset. You're right that they, they may be similar in many ways very similar, but they're still not the same. And the levels of oppression, like you have to understand too, that there's many, many branches of Amish and there, there are many different denominations of Amish for people that don't know. Like, for example, this one says, I wonder where the new order Amish fit. Well, Here's the thing. Do we have New Order Amish speaking? I haven't. I have invited some New Order Amish to be guests on here, but so far nobody has like chosen to be a guest. And somebody else points out, yes, there are many mm -hmm. different types of Amish. Even experiences within the Amish alone are different based on an area and specific groups and your family. I'd add to that and your family. Yes. So like that's 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 a really important thing to recognize and understand. Yeah. That's that I, I'm nodding in agreement because when I think of m the variety of my ex Amish friends and their stories, their stories are very different based exactly on the things she's saying. Um, it's also true for Mennonites. Your, your Mennonite experience is very, very different. The thing that seems to be similar though, across, across many flavors of Mennonite is that if you challenge power, too much, you're done. Like there's, like if, if you need to, to report um, someone or if you need to do something that your leaders disagree with. Um, yep, yep. Well, there, I mean, but, a, then, yeah. 
and even then I want to point this out too is like that's where like you know we have enough varieties of Amish that we actually have like you know Amish Amish abuse awareness meetings like let's let's go there for a minute where like you know we have Amish leaders who are like um, disseminating information that was created by an Opgangana in conjunction with other Opgangana with like some who are still in the communities with professionals that isn't bad information like like are Mennonite leaders willing to do that and, and literally like the booklet like how to report abuse like for example but are they willing to do that Rhoda? Uh, there is a mix. I, I think there's a mix of a response by Mennonite leaders. So there's a few Mennonite leaders who, because of the price they have paid and are willing to pay in order to stand for victims, who I think sincerely want to do the right thing. Um, unfortunately, there is a, I believe, a larger number of Mennonite leaders who believe that the right thing to do is to include these people who say they're sorry, is to um, include them, welcome them back in, treat them as if it's just as if it never happened, which means they are eligible for positions of leadership. And so then you have um, you have abusers gathering in um, places of employment that publish significant quantities of materials like Christian light education um, where you have abusers either writing or editing the, the material and um, yeah. it, it, that has to have a cultural impact because these, these books are going out not to hundreds of families but to thousands and um, you end up having this coalition of leaders who are a mix of abusers who've never faced justice for their crimes and a mix of leaders who have committed crimes in order to cover for these other criminals and they're the ones writing the Mennonite theology they're the ones telling people what to believe and how to respond and what to do and who to silence and when to when to silence them and so the Mennonite leaders who actually want to stand up to this, I think, are outnumbered and they need they need a lot of courage um, is that's my view on that. And probably a lot of support. I'm yeah. guessing. Yeah, I would say um, yes. We do have a commenter saying like, yes, going against the power finishes you. Yeah. Yeah. And and then I think um, Samuel Regina Yoder said yes, that's true. I was thinking more like, oh, the Amish leaving for something better and go Mennonite, thinking it's better. Oh, oh, what you're talking about is what I call uh, Mennonites preying on the Amish. They're looking to the Amish to fill their pews, and Amish go there like they literally. Um, try to convert them and try to save them and um no just just no just just don't do that because we look like jumping from one going from one place to another like that specifically sometimes it can literally be like jumping out of the frying pan into the fire am i wrong you are not wrong I mean, I'm I, 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 I want to say here because so the church plant that happened 
Before, I was, before you say this, I want to give you one thing. Go for it. When I first escaped, there was a Mennonite college who offered me a full-ride scholarship that I declined. Because and you would have had to be Mennonite. Is that it? Oh, well, you don't really have to be Mennonite. Yeah, I don't believe you because I know too many Mennonite survivors by this point in time. I don't believe you. Sorry, not sorry. But wow. Yes. So, you so, turned down a full ride scholarship based on principle. Yes. Um, uh, as, as you understood that. Wow. Um, what, what she was saying about, and what you were saying about Mennonites, praying on the Amish or using the Amish to fill their pews. So when we, when our church plant chose where we wanted to live, um, it, it ended up that we moved towards, the adults chose this, we moved towards um, a location known to have an Amish church for that exact purpose. Yeah, so I can verify what she's saying. Good freaking grief. Yeah, and the church, the Mennonite church plant there that was intending to pull the Amish in um, ended up attracting, it, it, I'm not sure how much to say. It was a, it was not a safe church for minors. Let's put it that way. Okay. And I want to go back to what you were saying about the varied responses, like, I literally know Amish leaders who have like left communities and started their own communities because they didn't agree with the church policies on, on sexual abuse and sexual crimes. Like, okay. so the response is varied, but we do have people who are in positions of power who are willing to learn. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, like we've, we've, we've been able to, to communicate with them and and give them better information. And so those people, I think, will create a wave because when you get people who are giving out good information, people will eventually recognize it and and like it'll it'll create a wave long term. That's that's but my it, hope. It's long term. It, it is long haul work. Yes. This is not for the faint of heart. You can't just jump in and expect it all to happen tomorrow. Yeah. You can't leave the Amish and join the Mennonites thinking <laughs> it's going to be different because they operate under the same mindset. Would you feel like you agree? Would you feel like you agree with I'm that? Sorry. As as <laughs> well, so in my book, remember the driver that drove me away? Yeah. That driver is an ex Mennonite. That's cool. That driver is an ex-Mennonite. And let me tell you something. <laughs> I'm really, really, really lucky because I made a connection with an ex-Mennonite who taught me about the Mennonites enough that every time, like there was a Mennonite church in one of the small towns I lived in who really tried to get me to come to their church. <laughs> no, no. After what they did to that driver and what I know, no, absolutely not. 
Absolutely not. There's there's this the, the I think that's a similarity not just between Amish and Mennonite, but also from what I've been reading with Mormon, um, like some of the very conservative Jehovah's Witness. Um, anytime where you have fear-based religion mixed with heavy-handed patriarchy, um, you're going to end up with similar stories that have right. different cultural nuances, but same vibes. So, so let's go with like Jehovah's Witnesses, Independent Fundamentalist Baptists, um, you know, Mormons, like you said. Um, there's even fundamentalists, ex-fundies, they call themselves, mm -hmm. um, and and other similar conservative religious groups. Like they all, they all have similar stories uh, um, coming out of them. And par uh, part of the reason is is what Rhoda just said is the patriarchal control, the hierarchy is set in place to control their members, and that gets a little bit into mind control. So when you have groups that employ similar tactics just like they have very they can have very distinctive differences in how they believe like for example like if you were to say like Amish versus Jehovah's Witnesses like Jehovah's Witnesses are going to have like Jehovah God right and we don't we don't have that but we have the good man right like yeah. that's yeah. a good man yeah except that's God right right yes like like so it's so anyway slang, but yes yes it's slang. i recognize that yeah. yeah but that's that's because of like your familiarity with pennsylvania dutch mm -hmm. but regardless like people people the 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 institutions that employ these methods of mind control and thought control um the ways that they go about it are always the same and i'd invite people to think about like you know, Steve Hassan, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I've talked, I talk about him frequently. Um, he has a bite model, which is like, they employ behavior control, they employ information control, they employ thought control, and emotional control. Oh, so, those, that, I'm gonna have to look that up. Because that's bite. so accurate. I was just talking to a survivor um, yesterday, and said, you know, if you, if you need to process the emotional, like, learn how to process emotions, just get, get a counselor who understands toxic family dynamics. And that's exactly what is going on. Like you cannot have this level of harm perpetuated by an institution, be it a family or um, a group without there being a deliberate suppression of emotions where emotions are the problem. Speaking out is the problem. You right. know, the event that actually causes the emotions, we're not going to talk about that. Your response is the problem. Right. So the behavior control, like, talks mm -hmm. like, all of these, so This it's called the bite model of authoritarian control. So you have this patriarchal authoritarian control among these groups. And I truly believe that a lot of these groups meet many of the bullet points. Like, for example, um, regulate individuals' physical reality dictate where, how, and with whom the member lives or associates or isolates. That's behavior control, y'all. That's called otherwise known as a bone in my own shunning, um, disfellowshipping, disassociation, the, like, you know, yep, B-I-T-E, Ruthann. It's the bite model is B-I-T-E. Um, control types of clothing and hairstyles. <laughs> 
I, I just have to laugh. Or how like, many members meetings have there been on like <laughs> how long the women's sleeves need to be, or how long the dresses should be, or um, the sermon when I got baptized, and the sermon, or was it the devotional included a little bit of like how. Um, if you go to Walmart these days, you're going to see um, women in denim skirts that go all the way to the ankles. And the preacher's noticing that a few of the young girls are now making their dresses all the way to the ankles. And so that's a sign of worldliness coming in. So the dresses have to be long enough to be modest, but they shouldn't be Rhoda. so long that they're worldly. Like, that's part of my memories. When they rock too long is gooks too eng. Okay? And okay, I, I understand a portion of that, but not all of it. Can you please translate? Okay, so if your dress is too long, it looks too... Okay, Eng translates to, like, narrow, but it really means, like, your 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 shape is showing too much, okay? Like, oh, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep my language clean. <laughs> yeah, anyways. So, so, like, then, like... Um, information control. Let's talk about that. We have our own freaking schools. We literally have our own schools with our own publishers, with our own church-approved content. And publishers, even within the Mennonites, there are multiple publishers because one Mennonite publisher is not going to be good enough for another flavor of Mennonite. Right. Right. Like, it's just, well... Yeah, there's there's even Amish people that won't even use content from Pathway Publishers, even though Pathway Publishers is known to be our publishers. Like it's, <laughs> I swear, control information at different levels and missions within the group. I wanna mm -hmm. do. Do we do that? I would say absolutely. In the Mennonites, this happens where. Um, the, the more power you have or the more proximity to power you have, the more information you are allowed to access. But part of the trade-off seems to be, and I'm just thinking out loud here, it seems to be that the more information you access, the more you have to interpret that information in ways that people at the top of the power dynamic agree with. So you get more power, more proximity to power by agreeing with the leaders on top, and then as you agree with the leaders on top, you are actually allowed access to more information. So if you are low in the power thing, um, you, for one, don't have access to much information. You must agree to what you are told. You are not allowed to debate without it being considered a potential sign of rebellion. Like, are you thinking about leaving the Mennonites? Like, what's going on here? Those oh. are some progressive ideas. Like, you'll, you'll hear that kind of pushback. But then if you, if you have proximity to power, then you are allowed to exchange arguments and dialogue and end on good terms because it was just a friendly conversation. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So let me ask you this. So when it comes to information control, minimize or discourage access to the non-institution source of information, including like internet, TV, radio, books, articles, newspapers, magazines, media. And I would add to that education because for us, it's minimize or discourage access to like we didn't have access to education. Right. How are we supposed to have access to the same education as our peers? We, yeah. we didn't have that. Um, but yeah. it also includes like critical information, former members, 
where do we have open relationships with former members of our churches? <laughs> At least in the Mennonites, in some branches of Mennonites, shunning and excommunicating is taken so seriously that if someone is shunned and they exchange letters with a friend still in the group, those letters may be intercepted and read or intercepted and discarded. Oh, my God. That's, that's called information control, my friends. Right. Right. Um, encourage spying on other members, you know, where we police each other's up. This is when you go to like the, the quilting bee and like, you know, Aunt Lydia pulls out. Yeah, we're using the name Lydia. Aunt Lydia pulls out the yardstick and measures the length of your dress from the floor because, you know, it's just just doesn't look quite right. And it's just, you know, half an inch off. Did that literally happen to you? happened to somebody yes it should not surprise me but i'm here speechless <laughs> wait we just don't make it too long and don't make it too short right or, like or, holiness yeah. is in the middle holiness is can we <sighs> yeah i'm not sure does. if we have time to talk about that the whole yeah. idea that there's always middle ground and that the way to reconciliation and peace is finding that middle ground, finding that balance. Uh -huh. You just have to be perfect, perfect according to the church, Atnings, and the Atnings brief, and and you just have to strive harder, and you just have to have enough faith, and you just have to pray harder, and then yeah. you'll get to that level of holiness and that level of hope, and that's But it. you also have to be a man in order to attain that, because really, the rules are a lot heavier on the women, and I, I've just been thinking about this in the back of my head, like, we are two women discussing our experiences. We are probably going to um, be discussed by Amish or Mennonite men who say they've been Mennonite or Amish their entire lives and they never experienced this and they're not going to realize the difference between male experiences and female experiences in patriarchal cultures are vastly different. Vastly different. Here's here's what I would say to those people. First Go for off. it. First off, you you were born into privilege. Your status being born into an Amish family as a male is automatically above my status as somebody who was born with a vagina. Seriously, you have no idea what we experience because you could have never experienced what we experience because we were born with a vagina. That's literally it. So yeah. you can take that and stick it in your pipe and smoke it Sometimes when I'm feeling particularly snarky, I joke that God made a mistake when he gave me a vagina and a mouth at the same time. So. Yeah. Cheers. Yep, cheers. And then when you go into thought control, when mm -hmm. you go into thought control, requires members to internalize the group's doctrine as truth, adopting the group's map of reality as reality, let me go back real quick. I just want to tell you all this about the information control is that there is a part where it's talking about um, com compartmentalize information into outsider versus insider doctrine. Yeah, we yes. even have a name. Yes. For it. <laughs> yes. 
worldly. Yeah. At least that was that was what the Mennonite term was. It's worldly. I think it's <coughs> this world is not my home. <laughs> yep. I'm just the passing through, but I'm gonna have a good time while I'm here. <laughs> sing it, sing it, Rhoda. <laughs> this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are in absolutely on the blue. The angels beckon me. From heaven's open door, and I can't feel like home in this world anymore. Okay, <laughs> that was great. Yes, we even have songs about it, y'all. We even have songs about it. Yes. Um, anyways, so go. Ahead. Oh, the the one song. This is bringing up memories. The one song when I was a kid, we would sing about. Um, Ah, gosh, I can't remember the name of it. But it was it was basically about all the types of people who are going to hell. <laughs> I'm sorry. And it included um, the drunkard and the man who had sold him the drink. Together in hell, they did sink. I grew up singing that. And then as an adult, realizing, hold on, Jesus turned water into wine, and we're singing that the man who served them the drink are going to hell. What's up with that? Rhoda, Rhoda, think about this. So, in Steve Azan's book, like, um, um, Combating Cult Mind Control, mm -hmm. he talks about this thing, like, thought-stopping process. So, like, you were indoctrinated to believe, and, and part of what they do is they teach members, like, thought-stopping processes. So, when you start having critical thinking happen they teach you things like these songs this is part of why like i'm like okay so i can recognize it now and and like that song is part of this thought stopping process those songs yeah. they teach us like oh we have this feeling so now we got to sing these songs right and they're going to help us like continue to believe and stay faithful to that faith or that yes. institution. Yes. Um, Jessica had um, commented on Facebook when we were discussing this event that um, she wanted to talk about thought control and like how it impacts our relationships outside of like even after we leave. And I will say that one aspect that has been so strange to me has been like how wholesome curiosity is the wholesomeness of curiosity both intellectual curiosity and um relational curiosity so when when you must deal with certainty and in black and white or you are out then you don't have the room to be curious about why someone else would have a different yeah Verna recognizes that song um <laughs> she was why... her amish right she said, I'm thinking we sang that song in youth singing. Wait, y'all sang English songs, Verna? I'm, my heart is going to explode. <laughs> okay, continue. I've had my meltdown. <laughs> um, where was I at? Wholesome curiosity. Yes. So it's it's so it's been beneficial for me in my academic journey to go you know what it's actually so much fun to ask 
questions and to like you realize other people also are asking questions and sometimes they need permission to verbalize their own curiosities they need permission to to say you know what i don't have all the answers let's go find them together um, and then relationally it's actually a um, conflict resolution technique to um, a healthy one to have the conflict while you are still curious. So instead of going, Mary, how could you say that? <laughs> if, I, if I approach you with a, hey, that didn't really make sense to me, or I didn't understand that, could you please explain that to me? It's so much easier um, to have joy in our relationships, have joy in our access to information when we have curiosity, but curiosity is not encouraged or allowed to flourish under these heavy-handed systems. Right. Let me, let me just point out something. So earlier you talked about the plant, right? Yes. And I ask you, I ask you to explain it. That is an example of like having curiosity and asking questions and how Mm -hmm. like it can be so much better to have relations relationships and relationships are more than just like intimate partner relationships relationships you can have friends you can have people you are close to some people are acquaintances you can have these relationships that you can make connections with that when you're curious you learn a lot of things right a lot Right. Yeah. And um, it's we just we lose out on each other when we lose out on curiosity. (laughs) I just want to say this comment just makes me sit here and laugh and laugh. (laughs) That. So one of our for our listeners only um, or one of our listeners said, you can ask questions as long as you end up with the right answer. Sure. The right answer, of course, as described by the people at the top of the power hierarchy. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, anyways, we're about to wrap this up. Um, you had wanted to talk about, um, ha- did you still want to do this? Talk about stalking Amish versus Mennonite and then the whole issue of pitting survivor against survivor on the basis of how well they retain their faith. Did you want to go there? Um, I think we might have to come back into another episode just to talk about those two things. Okay. Because we, I don't really have enough time to get into both of those topics today, yeah. but this has been a really good conversation. Yeah, it has. I've been pulling back from um, internet advocacy because I do a lot better with in-person dialogues. It's a lot healthier for me, and I feel like I'm more effective there. But I really felt like I owed you an apology for um, the title of that video, and so that was, yeah, that's what started this conversation. But I I would be up for finishing the conversation um, some other time. Uh, Oh, yeah, we're... I I guess people want, and they're giving us an encore. Okay, then. (laughs) I'm glad they enjoyed it. Please go to pitting survivor on survivors according to, yes. I mean, it really needs to be. Part of why I do the internet 
advocacy or it's not even I don't I don't like calling myself an advocate I don't feel like I'm an advocate you are because for reasons whatever but part of the reason that I do the the podcast and and record things is because for me I get a lot of redundant questions and so when we talk about these things like for example um one of the one of the main questions that people um, have asked me throughout the years is like, well, how do I select a good therapist? I literally made a video where I talk about how I find a therapist because I can't tell you how you can find the right therapist for you, but I can share with you like how I find my therapist. Right. And and then maybe you'll have more information and you'll be curious and go look up different ways and figure out like, hey, what do I want in a therapist? Like maybe I should have a trauma a trauma specializing therapist when I have experienced childhood trauma. That's just, just, just maybe it's a thought. Maybe. I, I would, I would say yes. Um, I know when you're early, early, early in your um, trauma healing journey, you might go, this was just some things that happened to me that kind of made me feel some kind of way. It's not that big of a deal. I'll just go to a random therapist, but really and truly, um, once you begin to address trauma and once once you begin to learn how to be comf comfortable feeling the pain and acknowledging the pain instead of running from it, um, it's so much better. Like it, it can be overwhelming when the memories realize that they, they can come. You can feel the emotions. And so it's so much better to be with a trauma therapist where you can say, hey, this was the experience I had last weekend. I felt like my body was shutting down. And a, a trauma therapist is going to be like, I can understand that. I can actually explain that to you. I can tell you what happened. Whereas someone who doesn't understand trauma might be like, have we talked about everything? Can we say that you're good? Right. Exactly. And, and I think that's one big thing that I would like people to take away from this um, is you deserve. Oh, oh, this person's actually a licensed therapist specializing in trauma, among other things. Thank you. Yeah, but I think I'd, I'd like to say to to our listeners and to people who will listen in the future is is this is like you deserve to have support and support can look different for different people. Just because Joe and Sally down the street, it looks this way doesn't mean that's the right path or journey for you. And I encourage you to find your way forward to live your life in a way that makes sense to you. And did you have any parting words, Rhoda? Just thank you. Thank you so much for giving me a chance to um, talk about like how I'm learning the differences between Amish and Mennonite culture. And um, I have really enjoyed this morning. So thank it's you. It's been great. And thanks thank to everyone all. who commented. It's been, it's, it's helpful to, to be able to interact with the crowd. Right. It's very helpful. And thank you all for listening. Thank you all for sharing. I know I didn't get to everybody's comments but i will read them later and i, I appreciate all of you listening and thank you again to our patreon subscribers and with that being said we'll see y'all later have a good day Bye.